None of us have, have, have experienced an Easter weekend uh, like this ever. Um, I, I know that, that some of you are, are missing loved ones. You've been wanting to be able to gather and, and celebrate, and, and that's just not safe. It's not practical for you. Um, and it may be that others of you are breathing a sigh of relief that you've got a good reason for not gathering with loved ones um, on this weekend. Um, and I think amidst the gravity, uh, there's some value in being able to, uh, to laugh uh, together from time to time. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone actually expected that when, the time, when we changed our clocks that we would go from standard time to twilight zone. Uh, it has just been surreal. Um, Anne was excited uh, the other day because it was her turn to take out the garbage, and I saw her in the closet deciding what she should wear. Um, it, it just seems to be kind of one of those surreal experiences. I've got one friend who's been journaling about this, and, and she writes, Day six of homeschooling, my child just said, I hope I don't have the same teacher next year. <laughs> I think she was offended by that. I, I'm hoping for good weather tomorrow. Uh, I'm planning a trip to Puerto Backyardia. Backyardia. I didn't get my joke right. Porto back Backyardia. Uh, I've been kind of tired of uh, lost living room less. Um, anyway, maybe that just smile, puts a smile on your face today. Uh, some people, um, many people, turn to God in the midst of, of crisis. And, um, and often they'll turn to him critically. Um, you know, how could he? Why should he? Um, uh, how we perceive God matters, and it particularly matters when we're in seasons where things are not going according to plan. Um, uh, some perceive God to be kind of like a master puppeteer. Um, you know, all the world's a stage, and, and here we are just kind of jumping and hopping to his manipulations, and when things don't go right, uh, they perceive, well, he, he must be mean, uh, he must be angry, uh, vindictive, capricious. Um, uh, others, others that kind of come from a similar type of, of perspective of God uh, consider him to be kind of waiting, just kind of up there waiting for me to step out of line so he can, can zap me. Um, is that how you think about God? As you perceive him, uh, what, are the, what is the image that you have in mind? There are some in our world who perceive God as bringing uh, angry correction and judgment. Um, uh, followers of Islam perceive difficulty to be the will of Allah, as Allah wishes. If something bad happens to people, Allah must have wished that. They must have done something to deserve it. There are even Christians, I mean, that's not a biblical worldview, but there are Christians who perceive, uh, who perceive God very much like that. Um, how do you think about him? Because how you think about God matters, particularly when we encounter seasons of, of difficulty and challenge. Um, God claims to have revealed himself to us. That's huge. Um, he, he has revealed himself to us on the pages of the Old and the New Testament, and, and that's why we study them. We want to know God, so we, we study the scriptures that we might know him better. And those writers and scriptures have said that God has, uh, has most clearly revealed himself to us in Jesus. And so over the past few weeks, uh, we have been attempting to kind of replace misconceptions about God uh, with truth about God. 
And to do that, we've been looking into the Gospel of Matthew and and asking, what is God like? Well, the Scriptures tell us if you look at Jesus, you will see what God is like. Uh, If we open the pages of the New Testament Gospels, when, when we see Jesus working, we're seeing God working. When we hear Jesus speaking, we're hearing God speaking to us. I mean, similarly, actually, even in the Old Testament, every page of the Old Testament, you'll find Jesus on it if you will look. The New Testament letters which follow the Gospels give us instruction in in light of the beauty of who God is. How would I live? How would I respond to him? Now to help us over these past weeks, we've been, I've I've asked one of our painters, a a sweet sister among us, Tricia Palmer, if she would paint for us during our worship services. Now once the COVID thing hit, um, that became much more complicated, but she's been continuing to paint over these past weeks. And, and, And just... the the request was just kind of remind us, be a physical reminder, uh, that we're all at work painting an image, a picture of God. And I think we've got a a picture of an early development of that here. There's Trisha's hand working on that. She started by putting in background colors. Uh, She started by um, adding then in detail of of sky and sea or water. And, And then eventually got to putting in a dock. You can see the beginnings of the dock there. She told me actually that she was very unhappy with the way the dock first laid in. And she actually went back and redid the entire thing. Um, and, and it's such a powerful picture of sometimes we get these wrong ideas about God and, and it's, it's time to go back and it's time to do some, some repainting of what that image is. And, and uh, Tricia has pretty much finished that, that, that image. Is that the final one there, Tim? I think we've got another one coming here that is... Is, uh, is kind of the final image there. Okay, anyway, she has pretty much finished that. And we've had some inquiries, people saying, well, what's going to happen with that? Like, could I purchase that? And we decided the only kind of reasonable way, Trisha's donated that to our Call to Grow campaign, um, the, the funding that we put together to build this lovely new sanctuary and the technology that's helping us communicate here. And, and so we decided that, well, what, what we'll do is we'll just do a silent auction online. And so you can email uh, a bid to admin at okalliance.ca, and we'll leave it open for a couple of weeks. And the highest bidder will get to hang that lovely image on their walls. And those dollars will just go to paying down our mortgage. Isn't that? It's, it's yay. That's, that's a, a wonderful thing. So thank you, Tricia, for that. And she's starting a new image today. We might have a shot of that sometime in the, maybe on our online streaming um, uh, Facebook page, that kind of thing, and just show you the beginnings of that. She's going to paint a different image through the series that we're beginning today, um, which we're calling God is for us. Maybe that's an extraordinary statement to you uh, in the midst of of all that you're going through. Uh, The the, the notion that that somehow God is for me. And I would suggest that often the struggle to believe that comes when how we perceive God is a little or maybe a lot off how he's revealed himself to be to us. And here we are, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and we get the privilege of of looking closely at Jesus, and the scriptures tell us that he is the perfect representation of God. And it's impossible to, to look at the events of that first Holy weekend, that first Easter weekend, a Good Friday, a Holy Saturday, Resurrection Sunday, without concluding God is for us. God loves us. 
He's been willing to go to utterly extreme lengths in order to demonstrate his immense love for us. And he's inviting us to return our love to him and receive his embrace. You see, God's love was on full display that first Easter weekend. And he's inviting you to respond to his love. Now, now I'm sure you can imagine the events of that first Easter weekend resulted in all kinds of people having all kinds of questions. Uh, What happened? Um, Did did Jesus really rise from the dead? Um, is he walking around among us now? I haven't seen, where, where has he gone now? Where is? Well, this morning we're going to look at the first record that we have of a public response to those events. A public response by the followers of Jesus. Um, what did they have to say about that first crazy weekend? How did they respond to the many questions that must have been coming to them by those who were inquisitive. It's a sermon that Peter, uh, one of Jesus' close followers, uh, preached, gave uh, about a month and a half after that first Easter weekend. Now I'm going to read it. It's found in the, in the book of Acts um, in the New Testament. And I'll invite you to hear the, the answers that Peter brings to some of these questions that we might pose ourselves this morning. Who was Jesus? Did he really die? If he really died, uh, why did he die? Did he really come back to life? Where is he now? What am I to do in response to this? So the sermon notes has been mentioned are available on our website, www.okalliance.ca. You can download those. There's some questions on on one side of them, on the back of those, uh, which invite further reflection, invite you to kind of come back to this text this coming week and and invite God to speak to you. But let me read from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 22. I'm in the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. Um, and, And I'm just going to kind of pick and choose here. It's a little long, so we'll kind of pick the the spots that I think are most relevant to us here this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 22. This is the word of the Lord. Peter speaking, day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus and the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Down to verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now, he is exalted to the highest place, the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Now Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? 
And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. This is the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it and, and respond appropriately to it this morning. Now, I realize that you've dialed in to our online service here this morning, and you might have done so for any of a number of different reasons, but I want to propose to you that God has been reaching out to you, and if you'll just kind of stay dialed in here for the next 20 minutes or so, he wants to speak to you because he wants you to be restored in relationship to him, and maybe you're already in relationship with him. He wants to inspire that relationship and infuse it with power and invite you to to a, a, a new season of serving him effectively. There are some questions that that have been asked here. Um, And it's appropriate that we would attempt to answer them. I mean, Easter Sunday, uh, for the past 2,000 years, has been the defining point in the Christian calendar. I mean, and Christmas is wonderful, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, No Christmas, no Jesus, right? Uh, but, But... Without the events of that first Easter weekend, Jesus' life would have missed its ultimate and most significant and necessary purpose. Because no Easter, no rescue, uh, no salvation, no hope. So follow these questions along with me, if you will. Kind of regardless of of how you came to be with us this morning, stick with us for this next 20 minutes or so, because these questions are worth considering. Here was the first question that Peter, the apostle, the friend of Jesus, is responding to. 50 days after that that first Easter Sunday, the first Resurrection Sunday, and and this is what Jesus' closest friends were saying about that crazy weekend, and and, and here's what they the kinds of questions that they were feeling compelled to answer in a public way. Number one, who who was Jesus? Acts chapter 2, verse 22. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene. Now, that's a very human way to describe Jesus, where he lived. He says, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Now, you may recall that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's the Christmas account. But his family ended up moving to Nazareth. It's a very small village, kind of up in the region of Galilee, not too far from the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel. And then about the age of 30, Jesus began to to preach. He began to teach. and, and, And he was doing these extraordinary miracles as the power of God was at work in him. He healed people. I mean, many, many people. He even raised a couple of people from the dead. And Peter, here in this sermon that he's preaching on Pentecost Sunday, he's saying, look, these were marks of God's approval. These miracles that he did were, the Apostle John calls them signs that pointed to the fact that Jesus was and is Lord and Messiah. Verse 36. So so he's Jesus the Nazarene, he's man, 
But he's Jesus the Lord, verse 36. The word, the word Lord means master. And it's a reference to the exaltation of Jesus, the lifting up of Jesus, the enthronement of Jesus as a result of, as a result of what he has done. See, Jesus, as he walked among us, was the king designate. But through the cross, he became the king enthroned. He was the king lined up for the throne, but it wasn't until the cross, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection that he was actually enthroned. Jesus is Lord. This is what Peter's telling us. And then he says Jesus is Messiah. Now Jesus was preaching to a predominantly Jewish crowd that first Pentecost Sunday in Jerusalem, and the word Messiah was a, a, a term that was very familiar to them. It was a term that inspired hope, God had promised that he would send a rescuer, a Messiah. He would send a savior, a Messiah. He, he would, the, the Old Testament prophets spoke about this promise and, and through very difficult days for the people of Israel, it was this hope, it was this promise that gave them hope to endure. God would send his rescuer into our broken human reality and he would affect our rescue. So who is Jesus? He was a man, he was Lord, he is Lord, he is Messiah. These last two terms indicate divinity. Now Peter's going to say a little more about that. But he was more than just a man, he was God walking among us. These are terms that would apply to God himself. Fully God, fully human is how we come to understand him. It's how Peter understood him. Who is Jesus? This is who Jesus is. And, and then why, why did Jesus die? Or, or maybe more specifically, so did he die, but then why did he die? Verse 23, Peter tells us certainly he did die. All of his listeners there could attest to the fact. He says, you know about all his miracles and you know about his death. You know what took place. Verse 23, but God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. So, I mean, on, on the one hand, Peter's saying that Jesus' death was part of a divine plan. Um, it was a, a divine plan where God would take on flesh and come among us. We refer to that to his incarnation. He put on flesh, he came among us. And he did this because sin has separated humanity from God. I mean, how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with the, the, the errors in our lives, the, the mistakes we make, the little ones, the huge ones? What do I do with my sin? And quite frankly, the, the, the answer is terrifying. Sin must be atoned for. Sin must be paid for. And the problem is, I, my bank account's not big enough to pay for my sin. Neither is yours. No, no one could possibly uh, attempt to pay for their sin. We are utterly bankrupt in this, in this category, in this category of thinking. So how do we deal with our sin? Uh, if, for instance, I were to steal something from you, um, if I were to sin against you, um, there are only two options available. Um, either I give it back, and then I don't have what I've stolen, um, or you forgive me, uh, then you don't have what I stole. 
Either way, there is a penalty that's being paid. And what we have in the events of that first Easter weekend is, is God stepping in and making payment arrangement for my sin so that I don't have to pay for my sin with my life. He offered me forgiveness. And he did so because he could, in his perfection, pay the, 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 the enormous price of, of my sin and your sin as well. So, so on the one hand, uh, Jesus' death was part of a divine plan. But on the other hand, Jesus' death was the result of direct, complicit human sin. I mean, immediate sin. The Jewish leaders, sinful. Uh, strategizing against Jesus, conspiring on how to kill him. Um, the, the, the Roman soldiers, sinful. Uh, driving nails into the hands and feet of an innocent man after having horrifically abused him. But Peter goes on and he says, look, it's more than that. You and I, we all are responsible for the death of Jesus. It's a, it's a corporate responsibility. Now, we can relate to this, especially in this environment. I mean, this whole COVID-19 thing has called us the corporate responsibility, right? You, you know, we, we practice social distancing, uh, we're washing our hands. Uh, we're being very, very careful because we share a corporate responsibility for one another's health. We're trying to flatten the curve, uh, trying to not see our medical systems overwhelmed so that those who have critical need can be cared for. We're taking responsibility together for this. And, and, and Peter's making a similar kind of argument concerning Jesus. We all are responsible for the sin of humanity because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. So Jesus submitted to this. It was part of a divine plan. It was part of complicit sin on our parts. And Jesus submitted to this gross miscarriage of justice. He was innocent because God had a prearranged plan where he would come himself enfleshed. And he, he would willingly, Jesus would willingly embrace the critical role, this critical role in God's plan. So who is Jesus? Why did Jesus have to die? And then there's a third question that Peter addresses here. Did he really come back to life? And you and I must scratch our heads from time to time and say, isn't this the most incredulous of claims that Christians make? Well, here's what Peter said to the crowd. Verse 24. But God, key turn of phrase, I love it when I catch that phrase. You know, it's like everything's going on in one way, but God. And then all of a sudden, something new is happening. Something that defies what is reasonable is happening. Verse 24, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. You and I know that we live in the realm where death is final. Everything dies. Everyone dies until God intervenes. Everyone dies. Everything dies. But God, the author of life, the designer of life, God the giver of life, the one who has power over life and death, 
God, who endorsed Jesus as Lord and Messiah through miracles and signs and wonders that he performed while alive, endorsed him through the miracle of resurrection in his death. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then he points to the other 11 apostles who were around him, and he says, we are all witnesses to this. We saw him dead, and now he's alive. He points to the others who were believers, who were followers of Jesus, who were present on, on like 50 days after this has taken place. And he says, you and you and you, you're witnesses to this. We saw him dead, and then we saw him alive. We saw this. The, the apostle John, another very close follower of Jesus, he says, look, if you're struggling with this, you need to know we saw this. He says, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. Did he really rise from the dead? Yes. How could that be? The power of God. The same power that was at work in him in his life was at work in him through his death. And God raised him to life. And that same power is available to you. Where, where is he now? Verse 33. Peter goes on. He says, Now, he, referring to Jesus, is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Now, now we're going to talk about God the Holy Spirit next Sunday. Uh, God the Son uh, this Sunday. God the Holy Spirit next Sunday. Uh, God in us as evidence that what Peter's talking about is truth. The, the transforming power of God at work in us. But first, listen to this. Listen to, what, again, what, G, what Peter says about Jesus. He says, he is exalted, lifted up, enthroned to the place of highest honor in heaven. And we say, what? Highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. God's right hand is the place of sovereign power. It's the place of divine authority. This is the place where the king issues commands. It's where the Lord, Jesus is Lord, it's where he reigns. And it's where the Messiah affects God's purposes and continues to carry out the will of the Father through you and I. So that's what Jesus is doing now. He is at work fulfilling the purposes of the Father in and through people like you and people like me who will turn to him and believe. Who will turn to him and begin to walk in a new way, his way, by his power and his enablement. More about that next week. But, but listen to what, what, what Peter goes to next. The people, have, the people have been hearing this. It's beginning to sink in. That what they're seeing and hearing is evidence of things that are true. Peter's been speaking truth to them. And it dawns on them that if all of this is true, it must demand a response. Verse 37. Let me, before I read it, let me ask this. What do any of us do in response to extravagant gestures of love. Uh, 
I have a friend who years ago um, proposed marriage to the woman that he loved. Uh, she accepted, and then the next day returned the ring. That was not what any of us want to receive from an overture of love, an extravagant gesture of love. Most of us are moved to accept generous overtures of love. Thank you. I mean, thank you. I accept this gift of love. I realize that this is a costly thing that you give to me. It's an honor to receive it. It's a privilege to receive it. I want to steward the love that you give to me wisely. I want to do something meaningful in response to the love that you're giving to me. Your love is generous, and I'm grateful. And so in most cases, extravagant gestures of love receive love in return. Here's what happened next. Verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Such an extravagant gesture of love invites acceptance as our response. Repent of your sins. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, that which, that which has separated you from God is your sin. Uh, missing the mark. Uh, the, the failures uh, that happen by chance and those ones which are overt, I knew I shouldn't, but I did anyway. That which, which separates you from God is your sin. The one who will restore you to God is Jesus. Repentance, what Peter calls for here, means to turn and walk in a new way. Well, in order to do that, you must first acknowledge that you've been walking in the wrong way. And we call that confession. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond in that manner in just a couple of minutes. Turning to God, the second part of what he describes there, this is about, it's about more than just believing, because we're told in the pages of Scripture the devil believes and yet does not follow. It's about believing, and it's about becoming, and it's about belonging. You see, see there are implications to belief. It leads someplace. What does it mean to become a Christian? What does it mean to be a genuine follower of Jesus? Well, we are a believing, becoming, belonging people. We are changed, and he is continuing to change us. We're going to spend the next three Sundays talking about that change. How does it come about? How does he work that into us? How does God begin to bring that, his transforming power, into you and into me? How do I persevere with Jesus? But for this week, let me just kind of hit the pause button here by saying it begins by us acknowledging the wrong way, confessing when I've been going away from God, turning towards him, that's kind of effectively the act of repentance, and then persevering in a new direction. That's, that's the beginning. You see, God's love for us was on full display that first Easter weekend, and he's inviting us, he's inviting you, to respond to him. The question is, will you? I want to invite you to, to just bow your head with me 
and pray with me. And, and perhaps I can offer you some words that would be meaningful to you in response to what Jesus has done for you. Would you speak to God something like this, just in the quietness of your own heart? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for such an extravagant demonstration of your love. You came publicly endorsed by God the Father. And you submitted to his plan because of your love for me. And I am choosing to believe Peter and all the apostles. I confess that I've been walking in my own way. And this morning I ask you to forgive all my sin and everything that has kept me from you. This morning I repent and choose to walk in your way, your direction. This morning I am turning to you, most high God. Please come. Fill me with your presence and power. Begin to teach me how to walk in this new way. And I ask all of this in the precious, lovely, lovely name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Amen. And friends, the scriptures tell us that everyone who repents and turns to God receives the forgiveness of sin. You are forgiven. And you are invited to follow through with that third step that Peter talks about. Baptism. Repent, turn to God, and be baptized. And I want to just invite you to reach out to us this week and let us begin to journey with you and negotiate a time and a place and a way that we could do that in order that, that you can follow through with what God is doing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and begin to prepare to lead us, but let me just offer kind of three next steps for you this morning. Well, one would be maybe you're scratching the surface of some things that I'm talking about. Maybe you're beginning or you're renewing a journey with Jesus. Or maybe you have more questions that need more answers, and we want to invite you to ask those questions. So we're going to be starting in the next couple of weeks our COVID-19 alpha course. <laughs> it's going to be an online presentation, online opportunity for you to engage around these truths uh, and bring your questions and discuss it. We're, we think, think we might be able to offer a morning and an evening um, offering of that. Email us at admin. Email us. Admin at okalliance.ca. Admin at okalliance.ca and let us know of your interest and help us find a time when we can make that work for you. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and the Alpha course is the beginning course. It's a course that, to help you take those early steps in your faith. Secondly, I've already made the offer of baptism. Uh, admin at okalliance.ca. Let's start that conversation together. And then thirdly, next Sunday, we're going to continue in this God is for us series. And so I want to invite you to dial in again to our live stream at 10 a.m. next Sunday morning. And then finally, before the worship team kind of leads us in worship and in response, I want to bring you back to the work in the person of Jesus one more time. You see, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, 
He took the bread from the Passover meal and the cup from the Passover meal, and he said we are cre- he's creating a new covenant, a new relationship, a new way to relate to the Father, and it would happen through the giving of his body and the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. How can all of these things that Peter's been preaching about be true? It happened because of that, that gift of himself for us. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread from the Passover table. And he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of what he's done. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup from the Passover table And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. A new arrangement, a new new way of relating to God, a new way of being made right with God. Actually, the old way always pointed to this way. And it's in my blood, Jesus said. Take and drink all of it in remembrance of me. Let's us drink together. The Apostle Paul tells us every time we Eat the bread in this manner and drink the cup in this way. We are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are now proclaimers. Tim, let's sing in worship, in response, proclaiming the greatness of the God we serve this Easter Sunday.